You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Good to uh, see you again. It's a beautiful, cool morning in Orlando. Mm. I don't even know what the date is, but it doesn't matter because we're reading the Bible in a year. (laughs) And we are currently on um, some amazing chapters here. Genesis chapter 31 through 33. We're doing our Old Testament. Yeah. And we're covering uh, days 15 and 16. So I just want to start off uh, chapter 31. Here's a little bit of what's coming up for you. Deception, fear, grumbling, and the voice of God. All about Jacob. Yeah. I like that. It's a little teaser. So stick around for the next two seconds and we'll start talking about it. (laughs) So this chapter begins with Jacob is, it's time for Jacob to leave Laban after 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Four wives, yeah. 11 children, yeah. uh, a blessed agricultural season where he's, uh, his flocks, his yeah. spotted, speckled flocks have multiplied. A lot of black sheep. Some things are happening. In fact, um, Jacob comes to the realization that Laban has been cheating him. He's like, I am so blessed, and yet uh, I have nothing to show for it. I can't take care of my family. I'm totally reliant on Laban. Mm-hmm. And in this culture... If you have more servants, you have more children, you have more, you need more land because you have more flocks, you are more powerful. Right. And so uh, this is the deception that is kind of, um, they realize that Laban is a total deceiver. Yeah, he's trying to cheat his way into the promise of Jacob. At least that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, so Jacob starts to hear some grumblings of Laban's son because Laban's sons are starting to be like, holy cow, Jacob is way more fruitful than we are and so jacob's like getting nervous and then so that's the accusation yeah the accusation is look jacob is slowing us down dad mm-hmm. later he's, he's taking us he's taking all our stuff and so this is where the grumblings start to come in and jacob hears it and he's like what we're not ripping you off you're ripping us off mm-hmm. we're the ones who took all the deformed animals mm-hmm. we can't help it that it ble- that we're blessed and mm-hmm. you're starting to see this is what happens between the uh, line of enmity and the line of blessing. promise and blessing, um, is you start to see God's blessing with one group and and not as much with the other. And so there's grumbling, there's deception, and then the voice of God comes in because Jacob still has fear. Like yeah. 20 years later, he's gained some power. He's still scared because he stole the birthright from Esau. And right. Esau's living at home. Like he's still in the area where his dad Isaac is. And so uh, there's so Jacob's pretty much hemmed in by fear, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is why and this is when the voice of God comes to Jacob and says, "Go to the land. Mm-hmm. It's time to go." The angel of the Lord appears to him. He says, "I've seen all that Laban has done to you, but go back to Bethel or Bethel, mm-hmm. the house of God." Remember, remember, Jacob had a dream where he saw the heavens open, angels descending and ascending, and it was like the gateway to heaven at Bethel and go back there. And Jacob's like, okay. So he asks his wives and his wives are like, yeah, uh, at first it seems like they're going, wait, this is our father and this is our inheritance. But then they go, we have more than our father. He has nothing left to offer us. Yeah. Let's go. And so they're kind of like, let's just go. What's the problem, Jacob? And Jacob in the back of his mind is like, well, the problem is 
Esau is also a, do- a son of Isaac and is probably pretty powerful and hates me mm-hmm. and sees me as a threat. Right. So it takes God, um, it takes God recognizing and reminding Jacob that, you know what, that thing with the speckled sheep and lambs and all that, that was a straight up miracle. That was me guiding you and telling you what to do and blessing you. And so God is reaffirming, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. And even his wives are like, hey, if God says he's going to be with us, let's just go. And so Jacob packs up everything and they like sneak away. They get like a three-day head start on him before Laban even realizes they're gone. Laban's shearing the sheep and then um, Jacob tricked him, it says. Mm -hmm. So Jacob still has a little bit of the deceiver in him. He's like, all right, now's a good time. Let's sneak out of here. Yeah. Even though he feels righteous, he's done nothing wrong. He's only kept his word. He's still relying on his own strength to a certain degree. And I was just thinking, you know, um, Jacob's, the wife that he loves, Rachel, she was a shepherdess. Uh-huh. So she's tricky too. She's like, right. look, dad's going to be gone. We have a three-day start. Jacob's like, you're right. Let's go. So they all fled. And, and then Rachel also nabs the household oh, gods. Yeah. She like steals her dad's gods. And we don't know if she stole them because she hated her dad. You or know, if she's like trying to hedge her bets. Yeah, she's because remember they're all still a lot of uh, Jacob's household, and even Jacob to a degree still has idolatrous. Yeah, ideas. I, I mean Rachel and Leah, they grew up in this. Like they're in Haran, which is worshiping the moon, moon goddess and all that stuff. So it's like, and think about like the worst thing your parents have ever done to you, <laughs> and then multiply it by a hundred. Because I mean Rachel hasn't forgotten as she's going to get married, that her dad pulled a switcheroo 20 years ago with Leah, <laughs> who has only caused her heartache. Right. She, Leah, the sneakeroo wife, the trick of her dad, has given the husband she loves six children. Mm-hmm. And they've resorted to the hand servants given four children, and she only has one child. So, I mean, Rachel's not like, I miss you, daddy. No. You know, this is no. like, she's like, she's ready to go to. Let's get out of here. So they run and Laban is like, what? And he's about to go and he's going to destroy them. Because yeah. he now, it's like, cool. All he sees is economic profit. Like they have all this stuff. Now I'm going to destroy them and I'll mm-hmm. just take everything he's done. But God does what God does to save the promise. He intervenes and he gives Laban a dream. Yeah. And he says to Laban, be careful. Don't say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. <laughs> and Laban's like, ah, oh. so by the time Laban gets there, he can't say anything good or bad. And so he tries to use the law. He's like, one of you stole my household gods. You're right. And Jacob is scared at first. Well, Jacob actually, no, I think he freaks out at him. Like he gets super angry. But isn't that after Laban looks for everything? No, no, no. He he gets angry right, right off the bat. And he says, uh, like, how dare you accuse me? Like, what, what do I have to hide? Go and look throughout the entire camp, and if anyone has these gods, they'll be put to death. Right. Oh, and that's beautiful because, of course, the one, the only one Jacob ever really loves, Rachel, has the gods. Yeah. She's sitting on them. The Bible says it's her her time of the month, mm-hmm. and she's sitting on. So when Laban searches through all the camp, find, trying to find these gods, find a, a reason to kill anybody in his camp. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes to Rachel and she's like, it's, it's my time, dad. Okay. And, and she's sitting on the household idols, which is, which I think is hilarious. The, um, the original audience would think is hilarious because here's where you have the promise, the, the seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. Mm -hmm. So the seed of the serpent, 
Laban is looking for his idols, and he can't find his idols because a woman is sitting on them. Right. How powerful are his gods? Versus yeah. the God of Jacob, who finds Jacob and says, I am with you. I am for you. You, you can't escape our God. Right. But all the other gods can be hidden by the bottom of a woman on a saddle. <laughs> Just highlighting. And that's not lost on the original audience. That's like laughable. Like, yeah, your idols are mute and dumb and can be hidden from you. And so um, Laban is full of fear and anger. And Jacob then turns and is like, what is my offense? How dare you? These 20 years I've been with you and I've done nothing but good for you. And, uh, and this is when Laban realizes, oh, okay, Laban's starting to use the language of promise, but he doesn't fully understand the promise. Mm-hmm. Doesn't believe it, but he uses the language and says, let's do one of those covenant things. Right. So they make a covenant basically saying, you don't come into my land. I don't come into yours. We're good, right, bro? Like a treaty. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is um, Laban calls upon not Abraham and Isaac, but he calls upon Nahor, which is the god, his father, to be a judge, which yes. is from Terah. And basically these are all idol worshipers. Mm-hmm. But he's just doing the thing um, that he thinks he's supposed to do to make sure Jacob isn't going to come back someday with fury. And uh, that was that. They kissed each other and they all went on their way. So that's part one of Jacob's fear. Right. So he's got like a two-front war. He has Laban behind him and Esau in front of him. So God has gotten him through that. Right. Now in chapter 32, um, and and really 31, and, and this whole section is after this truce, you'll see themes of fear versus faith. It's this Jacob is full of fear. Laban's full of fear. Laban gets stuck in his fear, whereas you're going to see God protecting his promise and, and growing the faith of Jacob. But fear is still there. And that's our challenge, too, as we, as we live life. is like we have to push through the fear. And the only way to get through the fear is to put our faith in someone stronger and more powerful um, and take God's word for it. And so Jacob then now is moving towards um, where God called him to. He's moving Bethel. towards uh, Bethel and Canaan. The promised land. Yeah. And as he, as he heads out, what does he see? Oh, yeah. So at the next place he camps, he ends up being able to see there's a camp of angels camping with them. And he calls the place two camps. And it's this, reassur- it's this another reassurance from God saying, look, I am with you. I am protecting you. There is a camp of angels traveling with you and protecting you right now. And God is really ministering to his fear. He's like... Mm-hmm. There's two realities. There's two kingdoms. There's a heavenly one where the angels are, and then there's your camp full of your servants and your wives and children. And know that you're not alone. Well, then immediately... Yeah, so he sends out a servant to go scope out the area to see where Esau is, and his servant comes running back saying, "Uh, Esau knows you're here. He's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. So, So... exacerbating the fear of sweet Jacob is going, oh no, like he's coming with an army? Like that sounds like an army. So now Jacob starts wheeling and dealing, like trying to think practically. He splits up his his camp, starts dividing, like, okay, we're going to send my people out in waves towards Esau. So if Esau attacks one of them, maybe the other people can get away. Well, what's amazing is in the actual verses, he was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people into two camps. So he just saw the two camps, yeah. angels and uh, uh, eternal 
and physical. And then he, instead of taking trust in that, just does what is smart, right? And so he divides his camp. And then he does have, though, this is where you see the, the growth of Jacob. He has this really sweet kind of model prayer where he says, Oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Oh, Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. So he's recognizing the power of God. He's recognizing the two camps. Then he said, this is where he, um, he confesses his sin. And he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau, for I fear him. And he may come and attack me, the mothers of, my ch- of the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered or multi- or, uh, for multitude. So you see Jacob kind of having a great model prayer mm-hmm. of confession, confessing God's goodness, his sin, petition, and then remembering God's promise. So for all of Jacob's struggles, he is growing. Yes. He's calling on the name of God and recognizing that he's not worthy of the goodness that God has poured out onto him. But you see the generational sin, the same stories are playing out. Jacob shows the favoritism that was always in their family. Oh, yeah. And he sends forward. So he says, look, if Esau's going to take one of the camps, I'll still have my favorite camp. Yeah. So he sends his servant and their children. And then he sends Leah and her children. Mm-hmm. And then Rachel and Joseph are with him. Right. So they're... So hopefully Esau will take all of that and leave him and Rachel. Right. So you still see like there's definite favoritism, which causes jealousy, which causes problems uh, in the camp of the people of God. So <clears throat> he's setting it all up. And then before they go out to meet Esau, he spends the night alone. And we see this moment of him in his fear, isolated, uh, in at night yeah and a man jumps him and wrestles him throughout the entire night and there's a lot of different things that are said about this passage um we're just gonna take it as the word of god says okay here's the deal (laughs) everyone just says he wrestled god here because jacob says i saw the face of god Mm -hmm. as we're reading it in the context it just seems weird that God shows up in the wilderness to wrestle someone who he's been promising to be with the whole yeah. time. And, and so I, it just doesn't seem like God, but you know what? There's things we don't understand. So Jacob wrestles all night and says, um, he's trying to get a blessing from this guy. He's clearly like afraid for his life. And this man, uh, cannot overpower him. Mm-hmm. And finally it's like about to be daybreak and he pops his hip out of, joint yeah he pops jacob's hip out and of then joint jacob says who are you the guy doesn't answer mm-hmm. and um says look you're going to be named israel mm-hmm. you're going to be and you're going to have a new name and so um yeah that's it and then jacob says i saw the face of god, god which is also kind of a term for i almost died you're right whatever it is or you know what a lot of people think he wrestled with god it, it doesn't line up for me and matt no. but it doesn't change anything the point is, uh, Jacob comes out of this wrestling, yes, and ready to see his brother Esau. And when he finally sends forth the people, he, he shows his favoritism. He has to deal with his fear. He deals with it, 
and um, by having faith in God. And Esau has seemingly forgotten all about the the deception of Jacob. Yeah. Like Esau doesn't care. He should care, but Esau's really not a believer in the promise. Right. Esau's a believer in his belly. Right. And so as long as he's fed and happy and he has a lot of people and a lot of kids and stuff, he's like, Jacob, no big deal. I don't need to carry this promise thing of God. I'm already being blessed. Mm-hmm. And then Jacob weeps. They hug each other. They hug it out. And Jacob is seemingly safe. Yeah, off the hook. And then Esau's kind of like, hey, man, come back to my camp. Come yeah. with me. And Jacob's like, oh, I'm really slow. I got all these kids. Like his right. oldest kid, Reuben's like 13 at this point. So he's telling him, oh, go on ahead of me. We'll, we'll meet you back at your camp. And as soon as Esau leaves, Jacob hightails it to another, right. <laughs> another area. It is funny. You read it and you're like, oh, it just seems like an innocent thing. Yeah. But no, Jacob knows. If I go back and dwell with Esau, it's only a matter of time before I'm absorbed. Esau sees right. it as an absorption into his kingdom. Um, oh, my brother's displaced. He has a lot of stuff. I'm happy to see you. And so Jacob's not a fool. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're just going to go over here to Shechem. Yeah. And that's where they end up. And um, Jacob safely comes safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. So they're back in the promise, the promised land. Um, and he bought some land there. For a mm-hmm. hundred pieces of money, he says, the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So that yeah. uh, that means God, the God of Israel. God of Israel. And that's where we are at in Genesis 30. 33. Yeah, 31 through 33. And I would say the theme throughout this is fear versus faith. Mm-hmm. We are the people of faith. And the faith is that God keeps his promises. And um, and we get it. Mm-hmm. There it is. Awesome. Now, that concludes the Old Testament, right? Yes. Now it's time to go to our New Testament. Our New Testament reading is Matthew 12, verse 1 through 45. So the big discussion here is about the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. You know, the third commandment, keep the Sabbath holy. That uh, this is a day where you rest. The idea um, slowly over time became very oppressive to to God's people. It became where you can't do anything that's work. Yeah. So a day that was just supposed to be restorative becomes a day of like following the rules and it's legalistic. And the Sabbath is always about gathering around God's word. Even the seventh day of creation. Creation came about by the word of God and then you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we gather around the preaching and the teaching of God's word on uh, Sunday now. But uh, the Pharisees had a really legalistic view of it. And so Jesus is walking with his uh, disciples and they plucked the heads of some grain and the Pharisees said, you just harvested on the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. And then this is an opportunity now. And really this whole section through chapter 12 I think Matthew, the author of this gospel, was putting it all together Mm -hmm. um, on purpose because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's saying, here's the deal with the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus says, have you read David? He was hungry. He was hungry and broke in when he was being chased by Saul and and ate the bread of the presence. Yeah, that was set aside for the priests. Right. And have you not read that in the law on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Mm -hmm. So Jesus is saying, look, King David, who you revere, he broke the Sabbath. 
Right. The priests break the Sabbath because they're working on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. but are but they're guiltless. Right. And then Jesus says something amazing. Something greater than the temple is here. So that's going to be a theme. Something greater is here. Mm-hmm. Greater than the temple? The temple is the original Bethel. That is where God meets earth. That is where the curtain is drawn back and the physical sees the eternal. And Jesus says, I am the temple. And if you had known this, you would desire mercy, not sacrifice. So when we're keeping the Sabbath and judging people, you want sacrifice. You want to execute the law. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came as something greater than David, greater than the temple. And he says, I come with mercy. And that's why um, he says, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then really the, the rest of the chapter shows how he is Lord of the Sabbath. He right. went on from there in the synagogue and he heals. He heals a guy. Right. And he says like, wouldn't you go out and save a sheep if one of your, one of the, your sheep or animals from your flocks like hurts itself or falls in a ditch, like you'd go out and save it. So right. can I not heal a human? So he heals the guy with the withered hand and he says, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right. So as the Lord of the Sabbath, he's restoring it. And he's like, no, no, no. This day is for good. Mm-hmm. This day is to gather around God's word for it to do good. And the Pharisees still conspired against him, right? Right. But then he withdraws from there and many people followed him and he healed them. And, um, And there's this, Matthew throws in this idea from Isaiah, Mm -hmm. where he says, I have chosen my beloved, this is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. And there's this great line in there. It goes, uh, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. And the idea there is that the weak and the hurting, Mm -hmm. a bruised reed, like he won't step on it. And break it. He'll re- stand it up again. And so Matthew throws us in to say, this is what our Savior, he's bringing judgment, but he's bringing it to heal. And a smoldering wick, wick he will not quench. So if you have a little bit of fire left, or you're just smoldering, he's not going to snuff you out. He's going to restore you to your flame. It's the ideas of completeness. And so he's going on, and I don't want it to be missed, but there's healing. Right. And there's hope for the Gentiles, for those who have been cast out. Because something greater than the temple is here, and for, then for everyone, yeah. yeah. And then uh, on the same day, he heals a demon oppressed man, casts him out, who was uh, blind and mute. Yeah, and everyone's like amazed. Like he had the trifecta. Yeah, they're like amazed at this, and then the Pharisees are still going like, "Oh, he has a demon in him. That's why he's able to cast other demons out." Right. So here's the Lord of the Sabbath. Right. They're upset mm-hmm. and. And they see the work of God. So it's not just hearing, like a prophet would speak it. They've, they're looking at the word of God. They're Jesus watching Christ. Jesus do this. And so Jesus mixes his word with physical things. Mm-hmm. And people respond, some people respond by saying, you are the devil. Right. So they're calling the very word and work of God. Works of the devil. Works of the devil. So this is where Jesus says, uh, look, a, a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand Mm -hmm. satan doesn't cast himself out that's useless ridiculous you know how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man so i'd have to tie up satan and then by satan's power kick him out so what jesus is doing is presenting a case saying you guys are totally uh you're beyond just being deaf Mm -hmm. and mute but you are demon possessed right you have actually become the guy i just healed and you're committing the unforgivable sin. 
Right. So he drops he drops the this is kind of like popped up through me like throughout uh, my life is people have constantly asked the question of like, wait, what's the unforgivable sin? Because they're freaked out. That they're right. not, they're committing it. Yeah. Uh, but the, he, what it is, is when you see the very works of God and make them out to be the works of the devil. Right. That's, that's the unforgivable sin. Right. And the general rule with this is if you're worried about at all about the unforgivable sin, you have not committed it. <laughs> um, if you're worried and you're like, I don't want to commit the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Mm-hmm. Because the unforgivable forgivable sin is complete rejection of God, but also rejection of God when he's in your face doing works of God. And you right. absolutely say, I don't want it. I don't believe it. I think it's of the devil. And uh, that's the unforgivable sin. And then Jesus talks about he drops again the whole you'll know a tree by its fruit. And this is still like what a prophet is saying. Like you'll know you'll know a teacher, you'll know a prophet by the words he says and what his words bring. And Jesus' words bring life and healing. And the leaders, the Pharisees, are bringing accusations and condemnation. Yeah, and your words matter. So um, he says, you know, on the, the day of judgment, you'll give account. You'll see that my words were true and lying, mm-hmm. living. And if you've uttered and continued to persist with stiff-necked persistence against the work of Christ, you'll give account for that. Right. And then he again drops the whole, because you have seen these works and you have rejected them, on judgment day, Nineveh will stand up against you. Well, and before that he says, because they say to Jesus, oh, teacher, give us a sign. Yeah. As if healing the healings that he's done has not been a sign right as if what he said with authority have not been signs and so it just shows kind of their blindness right and they're asking for a sign and that's when god or jesus says are you are you kidding me i've given signs over and over again i'm in the middle of a sign i you know i've given it through jonah and even nineveh the evil city of nineveh and jonah was a half-hearted preacher Jonah right. didn't even want to do it. He didn't even he want to be there. He was in disobedience through the end. He even complained when mm-hmm. God didn't bring judgment. And at his words, the whole city of Nineveh repents. Right. And Jesus is saying, I am doing more. I'm greater than Jonah. I am doing works, the works of God in front of you, and you yeah. still reject me. Right. So, like, would you rather hear a sermon by Jonah or by Jesus? Mm-hmm. And uh, literally, Jesus says in verse 41, something greater than Jonah is here. Mm-hmm. And then he says the queen of, he talks about the queen of Sheba going to hear and see the wisdom of Solomon. And he, Jesus says, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Right. So something greater is here. This is offensive to people who don't want to uh, hear it from Jesus. And then, um, but he's greater. Yes. And then he goes on to explain this kind of deal with cleaning house and yeah. uh, getting rid of unclean spirits from a person. And he uses this analogy with one person saying, if you cast out uh, evil spirits, unclean spirits from one person, they'll wander around and then they'll come back with seven more, find the place empty and bring upon even worse, like bring a worse state than seven it was times, before. Yeah. And the analogy that I see is this is what God is doing. This is what Jesus is doing in Israel. He's cleaning house. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. And 
they are not filling the house with Jesus or the Holy Spirit. And so what will happen at the end of Jesus' ministry when he finally ascends seven times the amount of judgment comes back upon Israel because they have not filled themselves with Jesus' presence. Right. There it is. Okay. You have anything else to I say? I was looking at the, the, the psalm. No, I love it. I think the theme is Jesus is greater. So you get filled with Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's going to be greater and protect you, and, and he is the Lord of all rest. That's why he says, come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. So that's the, uh, that's the New Testament reading for today. Yep. I think we're going to Psalm uh, 9.13. Psalm 9.13. We'll turn in our Bibles there. And uh, here is what the psalmist writes today. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction for those who hate me, from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. So we take comfort in knowing that God is hearing us. We recount all his praises and that he cares for the nations. Mm. All right, well, be blessed today. We're praying that God puts his, uh, hides his word on your heart. You've been listening to uh, Fed by Ravens. In fact, I'd say, boom, you just got fed by Ravens. <laughs>